first words to you start at this time in the service, but as these are my first words to you, Happy Easter. It is good to see a beautiful day uh, that God has given, a day that we always um, look forward to. It is the high and the holiest day of our year and our life together, and it's a joy uh, to be in worship, and, and thank you for squeezing together as tight as you can. I know it's we're kind of crammed in. We're working on that, but um, but it's it is uh, it is it is great to be here. I love I love Easter because Easter is full of like like many holy days and holidays. It's full of tradition and um, time with family and, and joy and celebration. And and so there's often stories that we get to tell around Easter. And sometimes they're just um, what I call organic. They're things that just happen that become part of um, our memories of Easter. And um, and that actually happened this morning to me, uh, as we were we had our sunrise service at six thirty outside, and that was wonderful. And we'd come inside, and we were getting things ready. And at about seven fifteen, seven twenty, uh, Joyce Leonard, a member of the church, she came up to me. I was standing here, and she came up, and I knelt down, and she gave me a hug, and she said, "Happy Easter." And she said, "I hope the uh, Easter Bunny was good to you." And I went, "Oh, Easter Bunny." And I remembered last night before we went to bed, Tony looked at me because she had put together, you know, our, our, our kids are our kids, no matter how old they get. And Cassidy, though she is 17 years old now, um, Mama had an Easter basket for her. And she looked at me and said, Chris, would you put this out before you go to church in the morning? And I said, sure, put it on the sink in the bathroom where I can't forget it. And I forgot it. And so I went, oh, now it was 7.15, service didn't start till 8.15. I'm like, I'm good. I'll just run home. I'll save myself. And so I went, and I ran out in the car, and the car wouldn't start. <laughs> Battery's been going, and I knew it was going, and I thought, tomorrow I need to go get a new battery. I needed to do it yesterday. So, uh, so I thought, all right, that's fine. I am not going to live with this. So I walked home. I walked home, and I walked in the house. And I walked in the bedroom, and Tony was just waking up, and she looked at me, and she said, what are you doing here? And I didn't say anything. I just walked in the bathroom, I grabbed the basket, and I walked out. And she said, I'd have done that, and I was like, I'm not about to live with what I'm going to hear if you have to do this. So I went, and I, I put the basket down, and I left, and I walked home. And here's the sad part. As I, wa as I walked back to the church, three people from the church passed me, and nobody stopped to give me a ride. I don't know what that means, but... Um, but as I'm walking back, this is really, I was just, it was a beautiful morning, and, and I, just, I just felt the joy. It was a wonderful walk. It was wonderful to walk, and, and they just kind of, the air was a little cooler for, for Florida this morning, and, uh, and I just, I felt just kind of the light joy of the day, and, and I needed today. I, I needed this, and I'll tell you why. It's because, you know, for six weeks in Lent, uh, we've been in the last words of Jesus on the cross, as we've talked about each week in worship. And, and many of you were part of our Lenten life groups. And that's what you talked about each week getting together as, as we kind of built those groups on the, the sermon material. And I want to say on a side note, thank you all, especially those of you that have led those groups. Thank you, everybody that's participated. And some of those groups are going to continue, and there are going to be some new nights. And if you're interested in being a part of a small group, now they're going to become life groups. Uh, let us know in the office. We'll get you connected and plugged in as, as best we can. 
But uh, as, as we've been together for these weeks in, in Lent, we've, we've spent the time on these last words of Jesus on the cross. And so we've been at the cross for six weeks. We've been there. And, and that's, there's a heaviness. There's an emotional heaviness to spending all that time, as we should, it's appropriate, but to be at the cross and to, to remember each week part of the, the suffering and death. And so this is, is great morning because we celebrate life and resurrection and the Easter lilies and there's joy. And it, it's kind of like the, the, the weight of the crucifixion gets lifted. And that's what, that's what Easter is. It's the transformation of that, that darkness of, of crucifixion to the light of resurrection. And there's a joy to it. Uh, Leonard Sweet says that an Easter heart, the heart of, a, of an Easter people, is a heart of laughter. Uh, and, and that's part of our, our story. That's part of our joy of being together. In fact, even going back as far as the Reformation, in, in tr- churches that are traditionally more stoic, like, um, like G- German churches and, and some Lutheran traditions, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Please don't walk out of here going, oh, he's bagged on the Lutherans. Um, no, it's, it's not negative, but they're, they're more reflective and a little more stoic. But even on Easter, they, they had a tradition where pastors would tell jokes on Easter to bring out the laughter because Easter should be a day of laughter and a day of joy. And so we try to do that every time we gather, but it is especially important today. So with that in mind, let me tell you a story. A couple that um, were making a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. They were in Jerusalem. And uh, as they were journeying together, the, the the characteristic of their marriage, they were just bickering and fighting. It was kind of the common theme of, of their life together. He was a gruff, difficult, um, critical, kind of sour kind of personality anyway. And so he was complaining, he was griping, he was um, not happy about anything. And um, as fate would have it, he has some sort of a medical emergency and he passes away. He dies there in Jerusalem. And so in the aftermath of his death, the, the funeral director is talking to his wife and says, well, you know, you've got two options here. One is we can fly him back to the United States for burial. Uh, that's going to cost you $50,000. Or we can bury him here in Jerusalem, and that'll cost $500. And she looked at him and said, ship him back. And the funeral director looked at him and said, why? Why would you spend that much money? He said, look, long time ago, man was buried in this city. Three days later, <laughs> he came back from the grave. I'm not taking any chances. And so in the strangest setup to scripture you're ever going to get, we're going to turn to that story of that man long time ago who was buried in that city that would rise again. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 24. We're going to start with the first eight verses of the chapter, then going to to move back to verse 36 of that same um, chapter. So we begin with these words. On the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloth clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now we move to verse 36. Now in this in-between, the women have gone back and they've reported to the disciples what they've just heard. The disciples don't believe them. Then two disciples, two other unnamed disciples, are, are on the road to Emmaus and they encounter Jesus. And when they realize it's Jesus and resurrected, they run back to tell the others. And now we move to verse uh, 36 of that chapter of Luke 24. And this is what we read there. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would be open again to the newness, the freshness of this, your story and, and our story. Speak to us in these moments of worship on this holy of days and shape us into the very image and likeness, the reflection of Christ Jesus, our Lord. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. So over the years, it's happened to a number of famous people, celebrities mainly. It happened to Bob Hope in the late 90s, Justin Timberlake in 2001, uh, Will Ferrell in 2006, Taylor Swift in 2009 and 2016, Celine Dion 2015, Robert Redford 2015, and most recently Michael J. Fox and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Each of these are celebs, and there are many, many others, who have been the subject of what's known as a death hoax, where news has been reported and disseminated that each of these individuals had died. And in this day of, of social media, it's, it's fairly easy for that to happen. Somebody starts the rumor, a few people believe it, things get passed around, and next thing you know, everybody's read the news. It's not necessarily new. 
Uh, it's not a social media phenomenon. There was a conspiracy theory in the late 60s. Well, I don't know it's conspiracy theory, but that Paul McCartney had died in 1966, and the Beatles had replaced him with a new Paul McCartney. Um, you know, there's been others. In fact, the, the, the most famous one I can think of is actually in 1897, and that was Mark Twain. When it was reported Mark Twain had died, and it was in the newspapers, and it gave birth to that that quote that's attributed to him, the most famous of, or one of the most famous of his quotes, it says, the news of my death has been greatly exaggerated. And that's what's true for all of these. They've been greatly exaggerated. They're not true. And, and here's what I know is that when we find out they're not true, when we then see a news clip or a video clip or somebody says that, that you know, Celine Dion or, or Sylvester Stallone or whoever is not dead, uh, we don't immediately think to ourselves, oh, wow, they've been resurrected. <laughs> we don't. We go, nope, they never really died to begin with because we know death is final. You don't, you don't get out. There's a story of Phil Calloway is a pastor. tells the story of being in a, in a cemetery with his five-year-old son. And they were going, and they went by a fresh graveside that had been dug, and the dirt was piled up. And his little boy looked at him and said, Dad, look, one got out. <laughs> and we laugh, because that's the mind of a child. But we know that as our mind matures, we know that you, know, you, don't, you don't get out. Death is final. And that is the mindset that the women go to the tomb with. See, they know, unlike these celebrity deaths that I've talked about, or these reported celebrity deaths, they know this is not a hoax. Because it's not something they've just heard about. They've seen it. They were there. They saw Jesus beaten. They, they were part of that journey from his trial to the, the, the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of the cross. They were there at Golgotha. They, they saw him die. So when they go to the tomb early in the morning, as John says, while it was still dark, they're going to have a final goodbye. They're going to anoint a body. They're going to, to say their final, or express their final steps of grief in, in what then they expect to be the process of, of closure. Which is why when they encounter an empty tomb, when they come to a stone rolled away, when, when they are approached by these angels... They are in shock. They have a hard time making sense of it, even after they're told, he is not here, he is risen. Because you don't escape. You don't get out. But in this case, Jesus does. And they begin to process it, and they go back and they tell the disciples, the disciples don't believe it. And we tend to be hard on them. Why wouldn't they believe it? You wouldn't believe it. You'd think, whoever told you that was crazy? The disciples do, and they don't know how to make sense of it because you don't get out when death has come until Jesus shows up in their presence. Until he stands before them and they realize the reports are true, that something that doesn't happen has happened here. And they begin to first experience what is the profound truth of Easter, what is the miracle of Easter, what is the gift of Resurrection Sunday, and that is the transformation power of God that changes what is to what will be. That changes what has been to what is yet to come. 
that transforms lives and realities in profound and unexplainable ways. What they realize is what they thought was the end of the story is just the beginning. On Good Friday, as Jesus is taking his last breaths on the cross, as we talked about last week, as he is committing his spirit into the hands of the Father, his words there on the cross are, It is finished. Completed. The task is done. Period. End of sentence. And those are appropriate words because that's exactly what the disciples and the women felt. It's finished. Their hopes and their dreams, everything they believed was true, has come to closure. As Jesus is laid in a dark tomb and a stone is rolled over, that darkness absorbs everything that they'd hoped and believed and prayed for. It is finished. But on Easter Sunday, that exclamation point becomes a period, period, period. Because it continues. What they thought was closed, what they thought was done, what they thought was over, they realize is just starting. And it is finished, transforms into, but it has only just begun. It is finished, but the story is only just now starting to be written. And they experience what is the profound transformation power of God through Jesus. And that becomes the foundation of the miracle of our faith and the miracle that we celebrate on this day. But it is a miracle that happens both at a cosmic and a personal level. It is a, it is a miracle that happens both in the eternal reality, but also in the mortal experience that each of us have. And this is, this is what I mean. And on the cosmic level, this day is about God's defeat through Christ of the power of death, which we talked about. It is about that truth that death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what Paul's going to write in 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's because of this resurrection that we have faith in. That, that promise that Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the promise that we cling to, the promise of faith. Some of you may be familiar with the name Paul Azinger. Paul Azinger is a professional golfer. He's now an announcer. For golf. He actually, I didn't realize, lives in Bradenton. And at one point, and I learned this after the first service, uh, lived in River Wilderness. For some of you that are River Wilderness people. Um, but, but a professional golfer in the early 90s, Paul Azinger was diagnosed with cancer, which caused a, a deep a time of deep personal reflection and evaluation of his very life. And, and, he, and he writes, because he's a man of, of deep faith, that it, it forced him to rethink his priorities and what ma mattered and, and what he valued. And, and in that, and in that spiritual journey around this physical illness, he was reminded of words that had been spoken to him by a friend by the name of Larry Moody. And Larry Moody said it like this. He looked at him one day and said, Zinger. Zinger was, you know, Paul A. Zinger, that's his nickname. He said, Zinger, we are not in the land of the living moving to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying, moving toward the land of the living. And that's what Jesus does. That's the miracle of God's gift in Christ, that we are in the land of the dying, but we move to the land of the living. The promise of faith in my Father's house are many rooms. I prepare a place for you. That's the gift, the cosmic level of faith. And what that begins to do is it allows the other 
transformations of God begin to take place. The most significant is what we see on Easter morning, and that is that grief and despair and darkness give way to hope and to joy and to light. That's what I love about sunrise services, because we start when it's dark, and we finish as the sun has come up, and we get to experience what that contrast feels like. That's, that's what God begins to do through faith as we recognize that life exists where it seems as once only death reigned. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Those words are very personal for me. I, I have shared with you over the years, from time to time, uh, the, the profound experiences of my life, the most profound experience of grief that I've ex- had was the loss of my mom when I was 21 years old to cancer. And, and, and that is a loss that I will always carry with me. That is a, that is a, a missing, uh, something I will miss until the day that we're together again. But that's, that's the point. There's a day I look forward to. There's a hope that we have in Christ that, de- that death, death, her death wasn't the end of the story. And so I'll tell you, for me, and, and I want to preface the words I'm about to share because I, I don't want you to hear it as, as a, a, a prescription of what I think should be true for other people. This is a description. This is what's true for me. And that is over the years since her passing, I have very rarely, probably just a couple times, gone to her graveside. And, and I don't think it's wrong to go and to commemorate our loved ones at the graveside. Some people, that's a very meaningful and powerful place. That's okay. But I don't find it to be so. And here's why. When I go there, I don't think she's there. In fact, I know she's not there. I hear those words that echo in my heart and in my head. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a gravestone, and it's important. And if that is a place that is important for you, that's okay. That's valuable. There's there's blessing in that, too. I'm just telling you, for me, it's not. I just felt over the years, ah, that's not where she's at. I know where she's at. Because Jesus tells me where she's at. Because Jesus conquered death. I know she, through faith in Christ, has conquered death. And so her eternal residence is the same place that we are promised. The place that Christ has prepared for us. So we get to experience, even in the midst of grief, and it doesn't lessen the grief. It doesn't make the grief go away. There have been times throughout the journey that I miss her. And I wish she was still here to be a part of my life. That doesn't automatically just just melt away. There have been moments, I, I told one of the moments that it was most profound for me was the day that Cassidy was born. Because my mom was the mother of three boys. Cassidy was the first granddaughter, and my mom had red hair. She would have loved a red-headed granddaughter. I don't know what she'd have done when she got to know that red-headed granddaughter. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Sorry. I'm getting like evil eyes over the computer. So, but, but, but that's part of the, the, the profound truth and the miracle of Easter. But here's the other thing, is that it also becomes deeply personal for our lives. Not, not just for our experience in relation to others, but for us. Because what God shows us, that reveals to us, is the power of God's Spirit that transforms realities. That, that makes things new. New creations. That's another thing that Paul talks about. He talks about in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are a new creation. The old passes away. Behold, the news come. And that's what God does in our lives. If, if Easter is just about a hope for what will be someday, then we've missed part of the power of Easter. Because what God begins to do and what we begin to see right here in Luke chapter 24 is the transformation of the lives of the people 
who believed in Jesus, the lives of the people who connected with Christ. And we see women become proclaimers of the resurrection. And we see disciples begin to, to, to shift from a scared, timid bunch who are afraid of what may happen to them to what will become of the proclamation of their lives, their ministry. Jesus says, you are my witnesses. And their lives begin to transform. These are fishermen and tax collectors. These are ordinary and, and common folks. And they will change the world. And Peter becomes the embodiment of that. The, the one who denies that he knows Jesus three times on the day of Pentecost will stand in the streets of Jerusalem and proclaim the resurrection. It's transformation. The scriptures are full of those stories of what God does with people when we give our hearts to him. When fugitives became become leaders of a people out of exile as Moses was. When shepherd boys become kings. When women become judges and youth become prophets, Deborah and Jeremiah. Shepherd boy, David, who becomes the king. And as I said, Peter and Paul, who write so much of the New Testament, the per persecutor of the church, the one who tried to stamp it out until God gets a hold of them and says, no, we're going to turn this story around. I've got a different story to write with your life. That's what God does. And it doesn't end in the scriptures. It continues. We celebrate the stories of men and women whose lives are transformed by the power of Jesus Christ that takes what was and turns it into what will be. It takes the darkness and speaks light. It makes us more than we could ever be on our own. And so we celebrate. There's so many stories. I, I'm always, I always gravitate to the story, the, the late 18th century story of the, of the slaver, of the man who was captain of a slave ship, who brought people into bondage. Horrible, horrible abuse of humanity who would be captured by the light of Christ, who would have the trajectory of his life turned around, so much so that he would go on to become an Anglican priest, and he would then dedicate the last quarter of his life to fighting for the, abolition, uh, the ab abolition of slavery to which he had given himself and had one time profited. In fact, in 1807, Britain abolished slavery. Nine months later, this man by the name of John Newton passed away trajectory of his life changed forever and oh on the way he wrote a little hymn you may be familiar with called Amazing Grace. Think about it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I now found, was blind, but now I see. Those are words of transformation. It's changed. That's what God does and over and over and over we celebrate those stories and some are stories that we know well and some are stories that will never be talked about from pulpits or written about in books, but they're no less profound. The story of a man who suffered for many years in his own alcoholism and addiction, who through his faith in Christ finds the power to become clean, but not only does he become clean and sober, then he dedicates the rest of his life to helping others who are walking where he walked, helping others on their road to sobriety and health and wholeness, and a dedication he had until the day that he died. Or the young man who grew up in the broken home with very few prospects for his future, no path for where he was going, no idea what his life would ever amount to, who gets captured by the love of Jesus and begins to dedicate his life to young people and to serving and to caring and to helping them 
journeyed the same kind of roads that he had once walked. A man who lived in comfort and wealth, who had everything on a material level that we could imagine anyone would want, who decides to give it up so that he can go into ministry and serve the church, giving away a lot of his wealth, choosing to live humbly when he could have lived richly and serving Jesus passionately. These are not theoretical stories. These are not things I just made up. These are the stories of men and women that God has blessed me with knowing over the years of ministry. I could tell a lot more stories, and some of the stories I could tell are stories of folks in this room, your stories. That's what God does. That's what happens at Easter, is that we see on a cosmic level what God does on a very personal and real level. It is finished, but it's not over. It's the first chapter of chapters that have, to be, that have been and have yet to be written that we get to be a part of. We open our hearts to Christ. I, I pray that wherever you are, because sometimes we find ourselves in dark places. We find ourselves in the midst of despair and uncertainty. That's where God is. And what God does today is what he did on that Easter morning. Into the darkness he brings light. Into the despair he brings hope. Into the grief, he brings joy. And into death, he speaks words of life and resurrection. Allow God to speak into your life. And allow the miracle of Easter to not just be about what will be, but what is. And what God wishes to do in and through each of us as we are part of the story that he is writing. It is finished. It is finished. But it's not over. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Loving... And gracious God, thank you for the story that you continue to write, the lives that you continue to change, all of us, open to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Bless us as we hear your story. Bless us as we celebrate this day. And change us to reflect your love and goodness. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.